Welcome back to 2K Away. I'm Peyton. This is my sister Paige, and we talk about murder in the macabre. We are a sister's true crime podcast. So this week, as I've been saying for the past two weeks now, I'm doing Peter Sutcliffe. Finally. Yes. But first, I want to tell everybody, seriously, thank you so much for listening to us. Our it's like shot up and I am so happy about it. It's it's so Oh cool. yeah. It's it's amazing. And over the next couple weeks, and I know I've been saying this for the past couple <laughs> weeks. <laughs> our our patreon is made it is just not live yet we are making decisions on what different tiers that we're gonna have and and all that good stuff yeah exactly and we're we're discussing merch Mm -hmm. which would be super cool so we're yeah so we're we're in we're in the process there's stuff going on behind the scenes but we just haven't you know made it live yet so Again, today we're doing Peter Sutcliffe, a.k.a. as he is more better known as the Yorkshire Ripper. So, just we'll let's just hop right into it. What? Just FYI, probably going to be two-parter, maybe even three. We'll let you know. I was going <laughs> to leave that as a secret for the end and be like, and that is where I leave you for part one. Of course, I'm going to put Peter Sutcliffe part, part one. But I wanted you to be, I almost didn't tell you. I was going to wait for you to be like, no. Okay. So Peter Sutcliffe, um, I was trying to literally think of some sort of inanimate object that I could compare him to because I was going to be like Peter Sutcliffe, the human toilet, but toilets are useful and Peter Sutcliffe isn't. So we're just going to, yeah. yeah, So we're just going to, we're just going to keep going. Cause I was like, trash bag. No trash can. No toilet. No. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so Peter Sutcliffe attacked a total of 23 women, 13 of which were killed. So Mm -hmm. he, what's weird about him is that he was, like really blatant about his attacks and he would do it in like public places. The reason why so many women weren't killed is because he was interrupted by neighbors, passerbys, just so many people. How bold do you have to be to just go up and just attack somebody in the middle of the day or 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 even, even a crowded place or somewhere where there's witnesses like, yeah, it's just, it, the, I know, like, the balls on this guy. Like, the audacity of this man. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Um, I'm also, I think, I, I might be playing an interview from him, just, like, a little snippet of him, because he sounds like a fucking moron. And mm-hmm. I'm going to rip on him pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to rip on, I'm going to, I'm going to rip on the ripper <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> and again, well, I wanted look to, at you. look at you. Again, I wanted to cover him because... Um, he did just recently pass away and there's some um, issues about um, his death. You know what? I'll get to it. I'll get to it. So this, yes. So this investigation was highly criticized and got quite frankly, well-deserved hate. Mm. So this investigation was like mid to late seventies and early eighties. So at this time, and I'm going to go into it a little bit, but this investigation was no, in in no regards, am I trying to 
slander anybody that was involved in this investigation. It's well known to have been a botched investigation. Yes, they eventually caught him, but many people could have been saved. Mm. But we'll get to it. It was blatantly sexist. You know, it's it's mid to late 70s. A lot of changes are happening. They used a lot of not great terms. And they even did some in, because I have been watching the Ripper docuseries and I'm in the process of that. And the even like they showed clips from the investigation and I will, I'm going to quote one of them. I'm going to quote a few things and a few people that were interviewed because I think it's, it's good to note, but I'm going, I'm going to try and talk about the families and the women a little bit more, not to, not to shed a spotlight on them. Cause I'm sure that's not what they want in their life, but just to kind of, I want to put them in a better light than what they were at the time mm. because they weren't and they did not get the proper justice that they should have again yes he was eventually caught but it took way too long right so, let's talk about peter sutcliffe's childhood so he was born peter william sutcliffe on june 2nd 1946 in bingley in the west riding of yorkshire or excuse me, Yorkshire, England. And I'm sorry to anybody in England and the UK and everything. If I mispronounce anything, I apologize. I'm trying. Um, well, and and I, I've seen like memes about how like the Americans, it's Yorkshire. No, no. <laughs> I know. And that's the way I used Stop to pronounce it. it. And I'm doing it correctly. I'm trying my best. <laughs> it's, it's just when I see it and I go to read it out loud for the first time and then I fuck it up and then I'm like, oh shit, no, Yorkshire, <laughs> you know. So he was born to parents, John William Sutcliffe and Kathleen Francis Sutcliffe. They were a working class Catholic family, you know, just your run of the mill normal family. He was kind of a loner and apparently through adolescence, he never really showed any signs of strange behavior, unfortunately. Hmm. But according to one of his brothers, because he did have several siblings, I'm not sure how many he had, but I know he had several siblings. And one of them said that their father was actually kind of an abusive alcoholic. Um, Mm -hmm. He was verbally abusive to the kids. And I think he would, um, you know, uh, physically abuse them on occasion. And uh, there was a statement from his brother that said one time when the brother was about four or five years old, I'm not sure how old Peter was, but their father smashed a beer bottle over his head, over Peter's head. Oh, shit. uh, For sitting in his chair at the Christmas table. So not great um he would whip them with a belt i don't know a lot about his early life there's just not a ton out there about it but um what i do know is that apparently he had kind of a macabre sense of humor which i can't really say anything about (laughs) i was gonna say um exactly (laughs) yeah so um if that's if that's an indication for violent behavior, then wow, we are fucked. We are. So anyway, oh shit. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, oh, really? If that's considered bad, then then put me away now. I don't then I don't want to be good. Right. 
<laughs> if it's wrong, then I don't want to be right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, sorry. So apparently in his later teenage years, he, beca- um, he started having a growing obsession with voyeurism. So voyeurism, for those of y'all that don't know, it's Me. a... Okay. <laughs> it is a... Um, voyeurism is the sexual interest in or practice of watching other people um, doing intimate things. So whether it's straight up sexual activities, getting undressed, things that would be done in private. Oh, okay. So apparently he liked it. So... Okay. Yeah, by some reports, Peter hired uh, sex workers as a young man, and there was kind of like a story that apparently he had like a bad experience with a sex worker and her pimp where she, I guess, like stole money from him or something of that nature. Mm. And, um, but I don't, I honestly don't exactly know how true that is. If somebody knows, let me know. So... He did develop an obsession with them. He would watch them on the streets of Leeds and Bradford. And I'll get into it later, but... Oh, were you tired? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I'll get into it later. But he claimed that God was telling him (laughs) to kill sex workers. Yeah, yeah. God doesn't tell you those things. No, and if if he does, then you you shouldn't be listening (laughs) to him. No. Mm-mm. Also, if you hear a dog, that's my roommate's dog, Max. Um, oh, baby. I know. Him saying that God told him to kill sex workers, I th- I've i always thought was bullshit. Oh, yeah. Because I, I think that the story of him being conned out of money by a sex worker, that kind of thing to someone who's already, you know, this guy, <laughs> I think... <laughs> was just a huge blow to his ego and he just was searching for some sort of vengeance out of any possible woman who looked like a sex worker from then on i think i think it just that sparked it and that sparked his violent behavior because of the insecure little twat that he was so he left school at age 15 and had kind of a series of like kind of like low paying jobs, including two stints as a grave digger in the 60s, which oh. probably added to the macabre sense of humor. But I think that's cool as hell. So sorry. There's <laughs> shows that. Where, shows where I am, I guess. So <laughs> between November 1971 and April of 1973, he worked at a place called Bard Television, um, a factory on a packaging line. And he ended up leaving this position when he was asked to be a salesman, um, an on-the-road salesman, because apparently he didn't want to be on the road. But later, he became a lorry, a lorry driver or semi-driver for anyone that doesn't know what a lorry is. Yes. So before that, he worked night shifts at this place called Britannia Works of Anderton International. But they basically had like this, they had like a bunch of their employees resign and they gave them kind of like a severance package-ish. He got 400 pounds from this, which I think is a very small severance package, but whatever. Yeah. And he yeah. used oh. and he used a portion of that money to train as a heavy goods vehicle driver, which again is a semi or a lorry, depending on where you are. Mm. So 
the first job that he had as a lorry dryer driver <laughs> the first job that he had as a lorry driver he was fired because apparently he was stealing tires oh and <laughs> not what he, i would have expected you to say that he was stealing <laughs> right exactly you'd think maybe like goods from the trailer nope tires i don't know if that's what he was i don't know if that's what he was um moving i don't know so he was unemployed until october of 1976 when he found a job as a lorry driver for t and w h clark holdings ltd on the canal road industrial estate in bradford and i'm really sorry i don't know where any of these places are (laughs) I know you didn't do the map on this one. Well, the thing is, as far as where the murders take place, I know like in connection where they are, because there's a lot in there's Yorkshire, there's Bradford, there's Manchester. We're going to be talking about all these places. But as far as the, you know, the smaller places, like a specific location, no clue. And I'm really sorry. (laughs) But it's, I don't live there. Maybe I I would have a better understanding, but unfortunately I don't. So Peter met Sonia uh, Sersman, Sersma, excuse me. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her last name on February 14th, 1967. And they ended up getting married on August 10th, 1974. So Sonia had several miscarriages and was told that she wouldn't be able to have children, which... It's sad. She was in the process of like becoming a teacher and there, I guess is, was like a, well, Peter said there was so, and he talks about it in this interview that I found where she, during like her, her training course to become a teacher, apparently she had an affair with an ice cream truck driver, which I found interesting, but (laughs) this is also coming from Peter Sutcliffe and he's a twat. So take it with a grain of salt, right? So when Sonia completed the course in 1977 and began teaching, they used her salary, which I found rude, to buy a house at Six Garden Lane in Heaton, where they moved into on September 26th in 1977. And they were, you know, continued to live there up until the time that he was arrested. So, oh, yes. So talking about his crimes. I'm going to go by the year because that's going to be the easiest thing when describing all of the attacks and the murders. Because again, let me remind you, he attacked 23 and murdered 13. So there's, there's a lot. So Peter Sutcliffe's first documented assault was of a female sex worker who he ran into after trying to track down the sex worker who allegedly stole from him. Oh my gosh. Yes. So it was kind of like, well, I can't find her. So next best thing, you know. You'll do. Yeah. So the first few assaults that I'm going to talk about, I don't think that he was considered to do any of them. He confessed to these later. So because I'll get into it. So (laughs) he was with a friend named Trevor Birdsall, I think. Sorry, Trevor. In Trevor's van. He got out of the van and walked up St. Paul's Road in Bradford until he was out of sight. He meaning Peter Sutcliffe. When he got back to the van, he was all out of breath and told his friend to drive off quickly. 
He said that he had followed a sex worker into a garage and hit her over the head with a stone in a sock. So he put a rock in a sock. <laughs> Sorry, that rhymed. Um, and in his words, he says, I got out of the car, went across the road and hit her. The force of the impact tore the toe off the sock and whatever was in it came out. I went back to the car and got in it. So, oh my gosh. So callous and so not detailed. Just, yeah, I got out of the car and I hit her. Just okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And but honestly, like- if I could do a Yorkshire accent, well, I would totally mock the fuck out of this dude. But I'm not <laughs> going to because I don't want to offend the wonderful country of England with my shitty impressions. So. Right. <laughs> but like... You hit her so hard that the rock basically flew out of the toe of your sock? Yeah. Jeez. So, according to this, the police visited his home the next day. And again, this was in 1969. Did I mention that? This is in 1969. (laughs) The police visited Peter's home the next day because the woman who was attacked had remembered Trevor's license plate. So, he had... So, Peter admitted to hitting this woman... But said it was with his hand, and this didn't go anywhere because the woman didn't want to press any charges. Yeah, she didn't want to press any charges. She was just like, no, I just want to be over with this. Yeah. Um, She was a known sex worker, and I guess, like, her husband was, like, in jail for assault or something of that nature. So she was just like, I don't want any part of this. Never mind. Hmm. Which is unfortunate. But, I mean, if – here's the thing. It's sad, but if I were in her position, I don't know if I would want to either. You know, it's it's a whole mm. thing. So now we're going forward to 1975. Oh, so, that's a yes. jump. Yeah, a little bit of a jump. I think this was all brewing time. Yeah, I, I would say. Yeah, so his second assault was on the night of July 5th in Keeley. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm sorry. A woman by the name of Anna, I'm going to butcher this last name, Rogolskij, I think, <laughs> I'm really sorry, was walking alone and Peter struck her unconscious with a ball peen hammer and slashed her stomach with a knife. Oh my gosh. Yes. So he got spooked by a neighbor and left after that. Um, but I fully believe that he intended on killing her, but obviously doing it in public places like the moron that he is, he was interrupted. And that happens quite often with Peter Sutcliffe, the twat. Um, Anna did survive, but she did have to have neurological surgery at Leeds General Infirmary and was absolutely traumatized, as you would expect. I bet. Um, she was afraid to go out she felt like people were like looking at her and like pointing at her all the time and she was quoted later later saying uh the whole thing is making my life a misery i sometimes wish i had died in the attack (sighs) which is very depressing i am so sorry anna moving forward to august 15th peter attacked a woman by the name of olive smelt in halifax in halifax sorry england um like he had with anna he very briefly engaged in like some pleasantries like talked about like talk about the weather and then struck the back of her head with a hammer 
He slashed her lower back with a knife, but thankfully again was interrupted and left Olive badly injured. So like Anna, Olive was also very traumatized. She told the officer who interviewed her, Dick Holland, who later became the Ripper's second in command, that the man who attacked her had a Yorkshire accent, but that important piece of info was ignored. So August 27th, Peter Sutcliffe attacked a 14-year-old Tracy Brown in Silsden. He struck her from behind and hit her on the head five times while she was walking along a country lane. He ran off when he saw the lights of a passing car, and Tracy did need to get brain surgery. Oh my gosh. So at 14. Uh-huh. So you were still very much developing at 14, and you do this to her. That yep. poor little thing. So according to him in um later times of him being interviewed and things of that nature, he says he didn't know she was wasn't a prostitute. And when he realized that she wasn't, he stopped. This is according to Peter, though. He's a moron, and I don't believe him. So this attack on Tracy. Yes. So this attack on Tracy, he ended up not being convicted of. Again, but did later confess to this in, like, 92, I think it was. Um, Tracy gave a very good description of her attacker but the police didn't connect it with future murders because she wasn't a sex worker it didn't fit the pattern so it was disregarded oh my gosh that was in august so now we're going to talk about wilma mccann who was the first victim to be killed by peter sutcliffe on october 30th of 1975 Again, we're in the same year. (laughs) She was 28 years old and she was from Scott Hall in Leeds. She was a sex worker at the time. She was found on Scott Hall Road near the red light area, which was 150 yards from the council house where she lived with her four children between the ages of seven and two. She was a single mother at this time. Also, if you... From the United States, if you don't know what a council house is, it's kind of like um, like government public housing, kind of. Oh, okay. That's kind of what it is, yeah. Because I wasn't I wasn't quite sure what a council house was either, but that's it. That's essentially what what it is over in um, England. So her children were still in bed when this happened. Um, she had been struck twice on the back of the head with a hammer. She had a stab wound to the throat two or three stab wounds below the right breast and nine stab wounds around her belly button. Oh my gosh. That is way overkill. This dude has anger issues. And we will be seeing this because a pattern does emerge quite quickly. So Mike Green, who is a forensic pathologist and senior lecturer in forensic medicine at the university of Leeds, who we do hear from in the documentary series and um i really liked what he had to say as far as as just like the the information that he had he didn't necessarily put forth a lot of like this is my opinion about this it was very much like this is what the evidence is telling me and i really liked hearing from him and not to mention he's a pathologist so he has the science so science science (laughs) so He said that whoever had stabbed her took the time 
to move the instrument around and then stand back and then stab her again. Like, wow. He took the time to do the movements. So there were no fibers or trace evidence in Wilma's case. So oh gosh. unlike a lot of, um, unlike a lot of serial killers that have like, where it's kind of a, or it's, it's more sexually motivated. Peter Sutcliffe does not sexually assault, which is, I don't know, to me, it's kind of rare. He never leaves traces of seminal fluid or anything of that nature behind. Hmm. So the press were calling her, calling Wilma a, in quotes, good time girl. Oh my. Which you can read between the lines. (laughs) So I, I saw I saw an interview that was like this was just shrug another murdered sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the um, I misspelled so much shit. Typing quickly is <laughs> typing quickly without autocorrect is awful. But I had I saw one reporter refer to it as like a fish and chips murder. Like you'd be reading about this murder in the paper while eating your fish and chips with your friends, and then just turn the page kind of thing like there was really not a lot of sympathy which is awful yeah Um, considering she left four little kids exactly so an extensive inquiry involving 150 officers of the west yorkshire police and around 11th and after around 11,000 interviews they had nothing holy crap so wilma split with her husband at the end of 1974 and of course was really struggling um to raise her kids and make money so that's kind of what she had to resort to she had she had a rough go and Mm. it was really sad but Richard McCann which was Wilma's son who was five when she was killed um they I've seen a couple of different interviews with him and each time it makes me want to cry because it's so sad but I'm going to quote something from the docuseries Again, I'm going to quote from this docuseries a few times because I like the information that it gave me. And of course, I went other places for information. Rich McCann, I'm going to quote several times. And before I read this quote that I'm getting ready to read, before he was saying that, he was saying about how he was like, we had these police come and they were giving us cups of cocoa and little biscuits. And he was like, and I thought, well, this is so nice compared to the way people normally treat us. Because his mom's a sex worker and they live in a council house, so they get treated like Mm, shit. My gosh. I know. And when he was like, they were giving us cups of cocoa, and I thought this was so nice. I was like, stop. So, yeah. So he says, I can remember the officer sitting us down and just telling us that our mom had been taken to heaven and we weren't going to see her again. Oh, no. Yes. Take take a moment take a breath and and cry and hold your dog for a second and now we're moving on to 1976 so emily jackson age 42 was the next person to be killed by peter sutcliffe in january of 1976 her body was found behind a bakery and just like wilma her body was found near a red light area her legs were pointed to the road so the first thing that you saw was emily and I didn't mention how Wilma was positioned. I don't know how she was positioned. 
but the positioning of everybody does become more relevant because that's part mm. of his pattern. Gotcha. So again, her legs were pointed to the road. So the first thing that you saw when you came up was Emily. So her family was in dire financial straits. So her husband kind of talked her into trying sex work and oh yeah so suggested utilizing the van of their family roofing business to like do her business in Interesting. so i'll go on a little bit later to explain why everybody was in such dire straits because that does matter okay so um she was a mother of three um, Peter picked her up outside of the Gady pub on Round Hay Road, then drove about half a mile to some rundown buildings. Uh, he hit her on the head with a hammer and dragged her body into a yard that was like full of trash. Uh, he stabbed her. Yeah, he stabbed her in the neck, chest and abdomen. Some of the stab wounds were cross shaped and others were rounded. So they came to the conclusion that the instrument used was a Phillips screwdriver. I've seen two different accounts, but she was stabbed over 50 times. Holy shit, man. Yeah, so again, the exact number, I've, I've seen 52, I've seen 56, but she was stabbed over 50 times. This man is literal trash. Yes. He's, wow. I'm not even done with Emily yet. So he stomped on her thigh so hard that he left an impression of his boot on her leg. So they determined that the shoe was a size seven, which is typically small for a man. So they considered it to be a good clue. Also, this showed the mental state of the assailant thinking that, that even though he had killed her, he still had to show and continue to show his disgust for Mm -hmm. these women so this was just another this it wasn't even a nail in the coffin it was a staple in the coffin not needed but it's there yeah. does that make any sense i, I don't yeah, know yeah it does yeah so they interviewed emily's son neil jackson in the docuseries apparently he was 17 at the time um he was interviewed in the docuseries he didn't know that his mom was a sex worker or doing sex work until the police came to the door to tell him that his mother had been killed and he had to identify her body oh wow so the injuries to the back of emily's head the two obvious circular depressed fractures um from a forensic pathology view this was the first like similarity between emily and wilma so right away we start seeing similarities there's obvious blows to the back of both heads he attacks them from behind there's usually a a fucking dick Uh uh-huh um there's usually stabbing and slashing also involved you know now we have a pattern so Mm -hmm. before the 70s england was kind of booming economically there's a lot of wealth around um yorkshire especially they built trains, textiles, a lot of factories. Um, I think it, they said Bradford was like the number one textile uh, manufacturer like in the world at the time. Wow. But by the 70s, though, a decline was definitely starting. Um, heavy engineering started falling apart. 
because of foreign imports and textiles were falling apart because of foreign exports. So they were, the factories were fastly dying. Um, The people with money were moving out of the area. It was a post-industrial age of suffering, basically, is the term that they used. Unemployment rates soared, and it was very bleak for a lot of people, which is why Mm -hmm. most of the sex workers around this area at the time were just women who had fallen on hard times and needed to sacrifice to be able to not only stay alive, but also feed their children Yeah, and just try to survive because this was this was life now and they needed to do what they needed to do along comes peter suckliff the twat so now we're moving on to 1977 on february 5th peter suckliff attacked a woman named irene richardson who was a sex worker at the time in round hay park she was killed and her body was found by a dog walker She was partially laying face down with her feet pointing toward the road. Her boots were laid neatly on top of the back of her legs. And her purse was by her side with its contents like meticulously laid out next to it. Like someone took the time and took everything out of her purse and laid it out next to it. So this is when we really start seeing the displayed corpses Mm. and their possessions and stuff. So Irene was bludgeoned to death with a hammer and once she was dead, Peter mutilated her corpse with a knife. So there were tire tracks left near the murder scene, which ended in a very long list of possible uh, suspect vehicles, which I mean, what can you do? Like take a picture, take a cast and then try and track down this vehicle without raising suspicion to the murderer. Right. Because I mean, if that's the case, then they would just change their tires yeah and but not I mean, you have thousands of people with that possible tire right and so. not everybody was like stupid william suff and had four different tires on his van yeah god he's a moron yeah. um so now again now they have a pattern um it's blow death mutilation no evidence of penetrative sex no evidence of seminal fluid and the body is displayed afterwards. There's no doubt now they're looking for a serial killer. The police, however, were in a jumbled mess, to be frank. So two of the men working on the inquiries that were main players, one was promoted, one was moved. People didn't know one day from the next who was in charge, who was their superiors. It was a nightmare. Hmm. Okay, so John, Jim Hobson, who was the lead investigator at this time, I'm going to read a quote from an interview that I saw of him. And it shows you that they were, with Irene, I think that they were just now starting to take it a little bit more seriously. But because these women were sex workers, they were still like, huh, just another sex worker killed. No biggie. Um but- the thing is, if you're going to think that way, maybe you might, you know, it, again, find it this in a is a different way. But this is, this is um, anger. This is overkill. This is way overkill. Exactly. So, so but this is different. what I mean. This is what I mean by blatant sexism in this investigation. Gosh. Yeah. So 
I'm going to read a quote from him. This woman was living fairly respectable up to about 10 days before she met her death. She then seems to have gone down in status and has been wandering about the streets. And she could well have gotten into, or excuse me, she could well have got into a person's car and may have well been acting as a prostitute. And sorry for anyone that is offended by the word prostitute. I am going to use it a few times if I'm quoting someone. So. Wow. Yeah. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, Gosh. yeah. So Yorkshire <laughs> had a police force, but then the smaller towns within them had their own police forces in the smaller towns. So the docuseries actually shows like a little diagram of the towns and like, okay, well, we have these big parts of a county and then all the little cities within them, they have their own police forces. So you have like the county police forces and then you have all the tiny city police forces. Now, that being said, by 1974, they had all became amalgamated with the city of West Yorkshire. So then they became the West Yorkshire Police Force. So now the close relationships that the small police forces had with the communities that they served, um, the knowledge they had of knowing like criminals, the different Mm -hmm. sex workers and informants that they got info from. And a great deal of that knowledge was lost within the unity of all these police forces. So instead of having all these different different forces, they had one big giant police force, which Mm -hmm. is fine, but, you know... For the first time ever in this newly constructed police, giant police force, they have a serial killer on their hands, like in a very new, newly constructed police force. So they decided to go further with the tire mark and write down license plates and registrations of people that may have been in the area at the time. But of course, that ended up being like thousands of people. I saw an interview with one of the, yeah, I saw an interview with one of the police officers that was like, you know, sometimes we would just have one guy standing to the side, another guy just reading out license plates as cars drove down the road and we would write them down. I was like, that's what? That is the yeah. most pointless thing. Yeah. So now after the murder of Irene Richardson, they started comparing the brutality of Peter Sutcliffe's murders with Jack the Ripper. Mm. Another week I'm talking about Jack the Ripper and I'm not even actually talking about Jack the Ripper. (laughs) So they kind of coined the term the Ripper because people were kind of oddly like romanticizing the idea of like, maybe it's Jack the Ripper reincarnated. Oh, people are dumb. But um, so they started coining his murders as they, they came up with the name the Ripper because these were kind of like the jack the ripper cases like they were typically sex workers they were done in a very brutal nature and in public so a couple months after he killed irene he killed a woman named patricia or tina atkinson Um, she was 32 years old and she was a sex worker from bradford in her apartment wow so not a public place in her apartment so these apartments were very, very run down. Um, it wasn't a great area, but this was the first victim that was killed in her own apartment. Again, not yeah. in a public place, in her apartment. So she was last seen leaving a hotel in the Bradford area. Basically, it was like like she brought a client home, essentially. So the police found bloody footprints and boot prints 
on the sheets and the floor of her apartment. So they determined by the footprints that whoever had done this, whoever whoever had killed her, killed her, then walked to the door to get a layout of the room and then walked back to reposition her body. Oh my gosh. Yes. So again, we have a pattern and it's continuing. This guy. Yes. So the footprints matched the footprint left on Emily Jackson's leg. So this little fact doubled their resources um, because a person who murders a sex worker is most likely a stranger to them who doesn't know the person, which makes solving the murder that much harder, unfortunately. So unfortunately, looking into this boot print more would have been a literal search for a, a needle in a haystack. Because yeah. there were so many of this kind of boot, they decided not to waste police resources on it and made the decision not to look into it. Yeah. Which, if I were on that side, I don't know how I would feel about that either. But, I yeah. mean, look at Richard Ramirez and his Asics shoes. I don't know. Yeah. So this was when they made the statement that if you were a, quote-unquote, good girl who didn't have a lot of boyfriends or weren't a sex worker, that you were fine. Oh, there's oh uh-huh. there are uh-huh. so many better ways to say that. This is this is what I'm talking about. Um so now a couple months later, after Tina's murder, Peter murdered a teenage girl by the name of Jane McDonald in Chapeltown. Jane lived at a home with her parents and worked in a supermarket. She was walking home alone late at night, so the police thought that maybe he, the murderer thought that she was a sex worker. She was found in a playground off Reginald Street. They came to the conclusion that she hadn't been killed there. They found uh, marks in the grass where the murderer drug her body into the playground. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, you see videos of, uh, like, they just had, like, a straight line of police going through, like, blade of grass by blade of grass looking for different clues and things of that nature. It's wild. Sorry, wow. I just hit my laptop. So... Jane was not a sex worker. She was 16, which in the public's perception, this murder showed that no women were safe. No. Everyone was a potential victim. And now police realize that it wasn't just one certain type of woman. It was any woman. They had been so focused on the fact that he was murdering sex workers that any and all info that they could they got regarding assaults to people who weren't sex workers that they dismissed them and now they have this murdered teenager case just staring them in the face now and they realize mm-hmm. oh shit we've had blinders on the entire time yeah so this is kind of when the investigation started turning a little bit because now we have victim number 4 that's been murdered mm-hmm. sir I I told you about before we started recording, there was an interview with her parents and her dad was just a mess and it was just absolutely heartbreaking. In the press though, the police were describing her as a quote unquote, the first quote unquote, innocent victim. Oh, wow. Because she wasn't a sex worker. So therefore she was innocent. Wow. Yes. Wow. Wow. I just can't stop saying wow. I know. I know. And you're going to continue to get pissed off. I'm just telling you. So, wow. Yep. I'm telling this, this, this case is wild. It's absolutely wild. And like I said, Yorkshire police 
they got some hate. And there were some things I published in like 2005. You know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> they got a lot of hate and quite frankly, it was well-deserved. So now people were falling over themselves to give the police any information at all. Mm-hmm. It turned into a local hunt for a, a as they termed, prostitute killer. And now it's a massive story because he murdered a teenager girl teenage girl Mm -hmm. so because of public outcry after jane's murder the case took a major turn Mm -hmm. uh joel george (laughs) george george oldfield who was the head of west yorkshire cid was basically parachuted into the city and appointed as the senior investigating officer and he brought in in a new team And this was very criticized by other officers who were working on the case because, like I said, of the unity of all these police forces, you had the county men who worked for the bigger Yorkshire police forces. And then you had the city men who worked for the smaller towns. And so he was like, oh, he's a country man coming in to do the city man's job. Mm -hmm. Blah, 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 blah. It is what it is. So (laughs) I also saw... I saw a video of a reporter that was talking about how everyone was feeling about the situation and he's looking right at the camera and he goes, local feeling isn't hard to gauge. And then he turns slightly and the camera pans over to this wall and he turns and looks at it and it just says, Scott Hall says, hang the ripper and has a little noose and it's in big graffiti and the way the way that the reporter just turned and he was like, local feeling is a hard to gauge. And then just turned and like looked at this like big thing of graffiti. It was actually kind of funny. But um, after Jane's murder, this affected everyone who lived in the area. Everyone was living in fear. It was all anyone could talk about. And everyone kept asking themselves, like, why hasn't he been caught? We're yeah. now on murder number four. Of this uh-huh. very violent offender, and he's still just in the wind. Um, but the most unfortunate thing is that they were no closer to solving this than the day that they found Wilma Buchan. So, I'm, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote the docu series again. There was um, George Oldfield was interviewed, and the interviewer said, "Do you think the Ripper will strike again?" And Oldfield said. I think there's every possibility that he will. The big question is when and where. My fear every Sunday morning when the telephone rings is, are we in business again? Interesting. Yeah. So the police were unbelievably desperate at this point. So they decided to print a letter in the Yorkshire Evening Post to the Ripper. And they literally titled it Message to the Ripper. So I couldn't find this whole article. Damn it. They read little insert's from it. In the docu-series, I don't think it's the whole thing, but I do have a woman, a woman reporter in the docu-series reads it, and I'm going to go ahead and read everything that she read out because it's, wow. So it says, in less than two years, you have butchered five women in Leeds and Bradford. I'm sorry, we're up to five murders, not four. I can't count. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... It says, message to the Ripper. 
In less than two years, you have butchered five women in Leeds and Bradford. Your motive, it is believed, is a dreadful hate for prostitutes. A hate that drives you to slash and bludgeon your victims. But inevitably, that twisted passion went terribly wrong on Sunday. An innocent 16-year-old lass, a happy, respectable, working-class girl from a decent Leeds family crossed your path. How did you feel yesterday when you learned that your blood-stained crusade against streetwalkers had gone so horribly wrong? That your vengeful knife had found so innocent a target? Sick in mine, though you undoubtedly are, there must have been some spark of remorse as you rid yourself of Jane's bloodstains. I don't think I like that. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. Mm-mm. Yeah. Because first of all, it was graphic. It was very graphic. Yes, but I don't like that it was the police that did that. Yeah. If and it was a I, if it was a bystander or citizen, you know, just regular Joe Blow that that wrote that, that's one thing. But with the police doing that, that's not that's not the way to go. Mm-mm. No, that's not the way to go. No, and as as Jane's, you know, one of her parents, I couldn't imagine reading that. I wouldn't no, be happy about that. No, and it's not just because of that. It's just you, you're the you're the police, and you're and you're thinking that this man is going to show some remorse about killing a teenager after the horrible things that he did to the other women. No, no, he's yeah, not no. going to show any remorse. No, no he's not. not. So that was a pointless article that's just going to, first of all, for the family of the other women, it's, they're going to be pissed and sad and all of the above. And then, and then that poor little 16 year old, I couldn't even imagine how they feel about that. Oh yeah. It's ridiculous, but going on, he assaulted a woman in July named Maureen Long in Bradford. She was leaving the dance. So there's your answer. So there's your answer, cops. No, he does not feel remorseful. He didn't give a fuck. Yeah, no, no, that's the thing. And it's it's not even, you know, at this point, it's, uh, I think it was just women, just women in general. Yeah. That he was just, had just such a hatred for. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he assaulted a woman in July uh, named Maureen Long, She was leaving a dance club in Bradford and was picked up in a car and taken to a kind of um, wasteland looking place just off Leeds Road. I saw a picture of it. It looks like a wasteland. Um, I hope there's stuff there now, but at the time it was wasteland. So she had been struck in the back of the head and had been stabbed four or five times. He was interrupted and left her for dead. Wow. Yes. So when she was found, she was hypothermic and ended up spending nine weeks in the hospital. Wow. But this was the first known ripper victim, in quotes, to have survived. So this was a uh-huh. So this was a huge possible breakthrough. Police were like, finally something, because you know, this is the 70s. As far as trace evidence and anything of that nature, like, there's no such thing as DNA yet. They had no. nothing. They literally had no evidence. They could look for fingerprints. That's about it. And there wasn't. That's the right. thing. 
So she spoke to the police from her hospital bed and tried, they tried to get everything that they possibly could from her. Um, But unfortunately, the damage from her injuries wiped her memory of the incident. And all she remembers is getting her coat and leaving the club. Oh, no. Again, in the docuseries. (laughs) Um, They interviewed a man um, named Andy Laptu, and he was a member of the Yorkshire police at the time and he was given the task to take maureen long back to the club and pose as a couple and she would try and see if she saw anyone familiar so i don't know exactly when this was done in in regards to when she woke up from her injuries i don't know if they interviewed her i'm sure they interviewed her first and then they were like, okay, well, let's try something else. Let's try and get anything to maybe jog your memory. Anyone that, that yeah. looks familiar something. But, of course, they had no luck. He didn't show. She didn't recognize anyone. Right. So, apparently, this wasn't discussed in the docuseries, but I read that there was a witness to this assault. But they apparently, like, misidentified Peter's car and... They tried checking into this lead, and of course, it led nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, another thing that I want to um, talk about is we're going back to the police. So, there was something called the big wheel in the I think it they called it like the incident room at the like police station, whatever. So, basically, what it was is they would have people like on the phones all times during the day taking calls because of course now that a teenager has been murdered you have like over 100 people calling today saying i think right i think my brother dave might be the ripper you know that sort of (laughs) thing so keep hitting my laptop so they have all this information coming in and because they have no leads they have nothing they look into every little possible thing that they can because they just have nothing information yeah so they have this big circular i don't want to say file cabinet but it's this big cabinet looking thing and it's a wheel and they had alphabetical order if you got a call you wrote something down they give you a name whatever you go to the wheel you find the person's name and if there's no name, then you add that card to the wheel. And if their name is already in it, then you pull it out and you add the action or the call to their card. Is how they would do it. Yeah. But that's a fucking mess. I mean. And there were piles of paperwork everywhere in that yeah. in the department. So it was crazy and they would get like over they call them like actions like if if you got an action then you would go out and you would investigate the lead that sort of thing and they got they were getting like over a hundred a day so gosh yeah it was nuts so october 1st peter sutcliffe murdered a woman named jean jordan who was a known sex worker from manchester who was last seen in the red light area. So there is distance between Manchester and now these other murders because the first person that they found to be like, oh, this is really weird. She's farther away than the other murders was Patricia um, 
or Tina Atkinson. She was a little farther away and that scared people. But now we're all the way over in Manchester, which is much farther away. So everyone's is it still 1977. Uh huh. Okay. 77 was a busy year for Peter Sutcliffe. Apparently it was. Yes. So the fact that her body was found in Manchester was alarming because it was much further away than the other cases. Because before this time, killers of this nature would typically stay in one, one area. Mm-hmm. But motorways started becoming much more of a thing and much more popular. And again, you need to remind you, he was a lorry driver. So Peter yeah, got around. So he could get, he could get around easily. Yeah. And I mean, most of the time he would take people in his personal car. So it was probably, oh, he was already someplace and then thought, mm, I'm going to go back to here or something of the nature. I don't know. Yeah. So she was a known sex worker from Manchester who was last seen in a red light area. Her body was in an area that was uh, to be like a known place where sex workers would take their uh, clientele in Manchester. Mm-hmm. So Peter hid her body under a hedge, like under a bush. Mm-hmm. In his confession, Peter claimed that he had realized that the that the brand new five pound note that he had given her was traceable. Because oh. every five pound note has a number that traces back to the bank in which it was first circulated. Interesting. Yes. So also I didn't have the symbol for pound, so I literally wrote five LB for pound <laughs> because on this on this old laptop I don't have like the money pound sign. So I was oh, like, you know hilarious. what? I gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> you could have just wrote uh, typed out P O U N D. LB is much quicker. <laughs> five pounds. <laughs> It's fine. Very incorrect. <laughs> I I knew at least what you it was. were the only one seeing this. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, after hosting a party at his house, he returned to where he left her body, which was behind Manchester's Southern Cemetery, to retrieve the fine pound note. So I'm not sure exactly what day he went back to find her body, but he wasn't able to find it. Because remember, Jean was murdered on October 1st. I'm not sure what day Peter went back to try and find the five pounds, but he wasn't able to find it. So he moved her body out from underneath the hedge, couldn't find the five pounds, and then mutilated her body. Because he's a twat and was upset that he couldn't find it. Oh my gosh. So her body wasn't found until October 9th by uh he was he was like a baker at the time he was his name's bruce jones apparently he's an actor now i guess no so her body was naked and her clothes were scattered around her so according to bruce he said that her hair was burnt she was basically like gutted like it was a rough scene wow and i mean of course her body had been out there for nine days already So that doesn't help things. Yeah. After the initial damage, you know, Peter went back a second time because he's a moron, but um, her body was naked and her clothes were scattered around her. Uh, There were slashes on her abdomen that showed that they were inflicted much later after death. And it was obvious that he was looking for something and lashed out when he couldn't find it. So Jordan's purse was found a a little child, like a child. So board, boarded purse. 
Jordan's purse was found a little ways from her body and its contents were thrown about all over the place. Like clearly someone was looking for something and wasn't taking the time that he normally does. So it was obvious that he made a mistake somehow. Mm -hmm. The five pound note was hidden in a secret compartment in Jordan's purse. So it had came into circulation only four days before her death because the circulation of money actually isn't as long as you would think. And the police managed to trace it back to one of three banks in Shipley, Bradford, and uh, Bingley. This was the best lead that they had gotten thus far. So from there, they were able to narrow this down to 8,000 possible employees who could have received this five pounds. Wow. Yeah, and then over the next three months, the police interviewed around 5,000 men, which included Peter Sutcliffe. Oh. But the police found that the alibi that he had given them was credible, and that he had spent the evening at a party, which is what he did. (sighs) So after weeks of investigating the origins of the five-pound note, it led nowhere, and they were unable to find the employee within the bank or the man it was given to. Mm. So back to incompetence, this would be the first of nine interviews that the police did with Peter Sutcliffe before he was caught. And he wasn't, and he wasn't even caught because of an interview that they were doing for a murder. It was like expired tags or something like that. Something really dumb. A stupid traffic violation. Yes. And we'll get to it. (laughs) We'll get to it. And how many serial killers and or just killers in general were caught because of a stupid ass traffic violation? Bill Suff. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ted so, Bundy. Yeah. Again, I mean, we will get to it. <laughs> so again, the first of nine interviews, he was nine. interviewed nine different times by the police throughout this entire investigation and it lasted from 75 until 81 oh my gosh to, yeah i have to so look like, in my notes mm-hmm. they've had him so many different times and and again the balls on the dude like the police have already um, interviewed you once and you're gonna go back out and kill or attack somebody else well they're gonna interview you again be like you're not catching me and you're gonna go out and do it again wow i know So on December 14th, he attacked a woman named Marilyn Moore, who was a sex worker from Leeds. She survived and was able to give the police a description of her attacker. Good on you, Marilyn, man. So unlike Maureen, she was able to remember her attacker. She gave a good description of him and also gave a good description of his car, which had been seen frequently in red light districts. Mm. Which, if you look at the sketch... Because there's going to be a couple in this case. Looking at the sketch, it kind of looks like a young Sylvester Stallone, but it's it's Peter it's Peter Sutcliffe. Like it's very clearly him. He has one haircut and a style of beard and mustache. That's it's him. <laughs> I don't know how many people looked like him in this investigation, but it's it's him and. Remember Tracy Brown, an early assault victim, also gave a good description of her attacker. Said he had a Yorkshire accent and was ignored because this was before any murders. 
So there was also tire tracks found at this scene, which matched the tire tracks found at Irene Richardson's crime scene. They again interviewed Peter regarding Marilyn. Oh my gosh. Yes. And that is where I will be ending part one. Part two, we're going to start in 1978. Ah, okay. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. And well, yeah, Peter Sutcliffe's case is so big that I just, I wanted to not only try and find any information about these women's personal lives and the family that they left behind and I wanted to make sure that I really got into the police side of the investigation. And I want to talk about his death for a minute, too. So this is going to be a two-parter. for show. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's going to be really long. And I'm not paid, so I'm going to spread my stuff out. <laughs> I didn't realize that Lisa Montgomery would take that long. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, now I... I edited it down. Edited it down. <laughs> I edited it down, but it was uh, the recording itself was two and a half hours. <laughs> so I was like, I hate her. <laughs> and because I can't help it, hope it. I can't help it. And you know, anyone who's just listening may not realize, but Paige talks like uh, William Shatner and leaves <laughs> long pauses between her phrases. Hey, <laughs> when you go to edit this one, you're going to find that you're doing it too really bad. <laughs> it's been a long day. I've been doing nothing but researching. <laughs> and my mouth's real dry, but... Again, that's where I'm going to leave the end of part one. And we will, I think I'm going to fit everything into the second part because I don't want to drag it out for a third. We'll leave that for our our even bigger cases. Yeah. But you can follow us on Facebook at 2KOA. And you can follow us on Instagram at 2KOA Podcast. And we do have a Gmail. It's 2kawaypodcast at gmail.com and again every time that you write the name 2k away it is with the number two and we also do have a youtube channel where you can see uh pretty pretty pig faces at 2k away podcast so we hope you keep listening and we will see you next week for peter sutcliffe part two part two bye bye